You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Again, that's Mark 5, 1 through 20. And if you would please stand for the reading of God's word if you are able. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, the tombs, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good evening. Um, it was, uh, as I mentioned, we're opening up a third campus, and it's a little bit scary to kind of open up a new school. Um, and in the process of it, kind of what, what, what pushed us forward was there was a school that was closing, and it came to us that we can no longer serve 
Um, the developing world missionary population, we don't have the money to do it. Would you consider taking it over? We think you've found this sustainable model. But still, to do that was really scary, and uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it, except for um, I started praying about it. I went to the board, and my board chairman said to me, you know, Rob, I trust you. I saw what you did with the other school, and if you believe this is what should happen, uh, we're behind you. And her faith and the board's faith, it allowed me to go ahead with the project. Now, I'm not worried of that kind of trust. I have no idea if this is going to succeed. It could be a big, you know, whatever. But my point is, when we trust God, who's worthy of this trust, that trust allows him to do things in our lives that we never, never otherwise could do. His, and his trust and trusting him makes things possible. And if we don't, it makes them impossible. And so last week, Ben talked about how his provision is worthy of trust. And this week, we're going to touch on how Christ liberates us from all forms of spiritual oppression. And as he frees us, we hopefully trust him more and want to share with him with others more because we can liberate them too from so many things that can control and dominate their lives. But before we dive into this story, I think there's the first few things we've got to unpack. First, there is a spiritual realm and there are spiritual consequences to our decisions. To too many people, when they read this story, it just sounds bizarre. We read passages like this like it's almost like a fairy tale. Words like demons can make us approach this story with a lot of skepticism. And the scene described in this passage isn't that common here. Once in a while, perhaps due to drugs or alcohol, we see some stuff that's really crazy, but maybe not like this description. We now have mental institutions and sadly some cases prisons and generally people like this go there so they're out of our public eye. However, in most of the world where mental institutions are lacking and prisons are overflowing, it's a very common event. When I first went to to the Peace Corps in the 90s, early 90s, I was in a small village. And in that village, they had a man chained to a tree. And I knew, um, I found out very quickly that he was chained to the tree because he had attacked and really hurt a number of people. And he acted like a lot like this demoniac did. And whenever I went to that side of the village, I ran quickly. Even though he was chained, you never knew. He had broken the chains before, it could happen again, and you ran quickly. Now I live in Dakar, Senegal, and it's not an uncommon sight to see a person wandering naked through the town. So in most places of the world, and most times, seeing a person like this out of their mind is actually not an uncommon sight. And we, sadly, in almost every place I've been in Africa, these people are considered, there's no hope for them. They're beyond help. And the best we can do is perhaps chain them figure out how to give them some food, but they're beyond hope. Now, a bigger issue, I realize, for most of us, is the preconception that this, demons aren't really causing this. This is a primitive way of describing mental illness. And this topic, I realize, could be, not be more sensitive. My, my wife has struggled with mental illness, and I know many of you in this congregation may have had some mental illness or struggled with it. And perhaps nothing could be more painful than if someone thinks you're possessed. There are obviously physiological reasons mental illness occurs. But I want to suggest the biblical worldview says all of us are affected by the spiritual world. Not just those who struggle by mental illness. It's part of the environment we live in. And it can affect everything from the way we think to what we do. And to not include the spiritual is reductionistic. 
Just as to believe that the spiritual realm accounts for everything is reductionistic. And the spiritual realm is not something that a few people deal with. Tim Keller puts it this way. The Greek word that describes demon-possessed people never, is never used here. It's a simple Greek word that basically means demonize. This is a demonized person under their influence. And Paul says if you're proud, if you're bitter, if you're self-centered, you make yourself open somewhat to the influence of evil forces in this world that are seeking to disintegrate what God wants together. Disintegrate bodies, disintegrate relationships, disintegrate creation, disintegrate the environment. In other words, evil forces want to break apart what God wants together. According to Paul, when any way you're proud or selfish or do anything like that, you're actually to some degree inviting in and being influenced by demonic forces. Therefore, the difference between the demon possessed and us is not a difference of quality, is, is a difference not of quality, but of quantity. Because the same pattern exists in us. The Bible, Bible tells us there's a psychological side to people, a biological side to people, and a spiritual side. And to only deal with one of the two, or to only deal with two of the two, usually or two of the three, I'm sorry, usually means that at any time we're more ineffective than we should be, and wrong. Scott Peck, one of my favorite authors, when in, in the early 1980s, wrote a book called The Road Less Travel that was quite famous. He was Harvard educated, and he did not believe in demons or God. And then he started seeing certain clients he could not make any progress with. And started seeing things in, in, some of, in, in a small portion of his clients that he could not chalk up to any natural incidents. Physical manifestations, voices. And it was one of the factors that actually eventually led him to Christ. He wrote a book about this called People the Lie. Sheila and I have lived in Africa with a few furloughs furlough since 2009. And one of the most striking cultural differences between all the various African cultures, and that of the culture of the West, is that African culture puts more emphasis on the spiritual side of things and describes events in more spiritual terms, whereas in the West we tend to only look at the natural causes. So I had a friend in Senegal one time who turned to me and said, you know what, you're always looking at the scientific perspective, you and, and the West, due to your wealth and your respective and your relative power in the world. You have this illusion that you have more control over the world than you really do. Isn't that insightful? When we make everything have a natural or scientific cause, then perhaps our efforts and our knowledge can fix it. But God's message is that many things we cannot fix or control. And it's only his power and authority that can. I can remember my first time in Africa when having the mindset that the spiritual talk was primitive talk and I was going to come in and fix some of those situations in the village that I heard them about. I thought one of the main ways I could contribute to the village was to help them see that what they thought was spiritual could be really solved through medicine or science. I had the perspective of explaining things in all human terms and that most things could be solved through human resources. And again and again, I started to see things that I couldn't explain and that looked simplistic with this, just that kind of explanation. The villagers that I lived with that were being so hospitable to me, I found out had participated in a genocide. What I mean is some of the villagers from my village, they were former slaves. They'd been freed in 1980. And the former masters in 1989 came. And they came with guns. And they said, go kill this other ethnic group that's your neighbors. 
Go kill them and drive them out and take all their stuff. And sadly, they did. So people who were their friends the day before, people with whom they had frequently intermarried with, ate with, celebrated with, because they were a different ethnic group, and at the urging of the former masters who had subjugated them, abused them, and exploited them, they went out and killed those same neighbors. And my natural explanations could not make sense of the stories I heard. I heard their stories because those neighbors started to return to the land after being away from, for seven years. And they talked about watching people from the village that I was now living in come in and hack them to death and shoot the family members. And them having to run for their lives. And mentioning only when they ran out of bullets to limit the number of people they killed. And here I was staying with these same people. They were my friends. And I cared for them deeply. I saw people put curses on people. And I saw how bizarre curses sometimes worked. Now, certain things are labeled, certainly certain things are labeled spiritual that are not spiritual and have natural causes. And that happens perhaps more in less educated societies. And in educated societies, we label many things with natural labels that are sometimes spiritual. And I know that if the spiritual realm is true, this can cause some anxiety and unease. We in this culture have seen way too many horror movies for this idea not to freak us out a little bit. However, there's wonderful news about the spiritual realm. We are reassured in the story that Christ is greater. And when submitted to Jesus, you have nothing to fear. So my next point is Christ is over all things and has authority even over the demons. In Mark 5 and in all the Gospels, Jesus commands the demons. Commands them, and they must respond. Notice that when Jesus is in front of the man here in Mark 5, the demons know immediately who he is. In fact, they acknowledge Jesus as God by the title Son of Man, which is a messianic title, before anyone else does, even the disciples. They are the first to recognize Jesus is God. The demons are. In history, when anyone is trying to do an exorcism, they call on a higher power. Here, Jesus is that higher power. And the demons obey Jesus to give his name, to give the name of the demon, and the demons acknowledge Jesus has complete authority and power over them. This is not an equal contest. Jesus has complete authority over the spiritual realm. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4 says. And Jesus' complete control of the spiritual realm has an interesting result here. His control over the spiritual realm causes everyone to fear him. And the story goes just before this, which you may not be aware of, Jesus calms the storm. The disciples become very fearful when Jesus rebukes the storm. Mark 4, 41. And states, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Where does the fear shift? First, the disciples are afraid of the storm. Then they're afraid of Jesus who commands the storm. And the same thing here. At first, the people are afraid of the demoniac who's naked and out of his mind and breaking chains. And then they are afraid of Jesus. After the Gentiles and disciples see Jesus order the demons out of the demoniac and into a herd of pigs and then see the demoniac clothed in his right mind, the whole region fears Jesus. He orders them into a herd of swine and do the herdsmen attack Jesus for destroying their pigs? They run. Faster than Forrest Gump. Mark 5, 14 says, The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the country, and people came to see, and it was that it had happened. And then in verse 17, 
And then they began to beg Jesus, please depart from this region. There is a worldly fear of God that drives you from God and begs for him to leave because you see his power, but you do not know his love and grace. It's not based on faith and you know that you're unclean and God will destroy everything unclean like we just did with the pigs and the demons. And so you run. However, there is a fear of God. The Bible commands it understands Jesus will destroy everything unclean, but he will not destroy you. You realize Jesus actually wants to free you from everything demonic, that he loves you and delights in you and desires to destroy those things that will destroy you. Demons come to defile, but Christ comes to restore. Restore you back to the undefiled image of God that you were created to be. So it should drive you to God, away from yourselves and away from rebellion against God. A godly fear realizes and gets that God is our father and he and only he has this power over the spiritual realm. He loves us and only he can liberate and command spiritual forces and order them around. Even if your actions invited evil in. By inviting Jesus in, he automatically starts driving those same evil forces out. A God who loves us is in charge of the spiritual realm, and he can and will liberate us from anything and everything demonic. And when that happens, we become like the demonic, begging to be with him, rather than begging Jesus to go away from us. It's one of those marks of a Christian. Are you begging to be with Jesus, or do you honestly want Jesus to be far away from you? One of the reasons that this story is so stark, so dark, is Jesus wants to make it clear that there is no one, no one who's beyond being liberated. Think of this. Jesus is going to a people who are unclean Gentiles, engaged in unclean pig farming. And immediately he was met by someone who, according to Jewish law, is defiled because he lives among the tombs or gravestones. And according to Old Testament law, that made a person so unclean they were defiled for seven days. Anyone who failed to purify himself after being in the gravestones must be cut off from the people of Israel, according to Numbers 19. And to top it off, the person who first meets him is filled with unclean spirits. Not just a few, 6,000 of them. Let me explain. That's the one who greets Jesus. The story is painted such an extreme picture because it would be hard to imagine someone who... 6,000 demons control. That's what the word legion means in here. Legion means around 6,000 Roman troops. And this demon says, I'm legion. is because 6,000 demons are in him. You have to wonder, how did they all fit? That's a heck of a lot of demons. No wonder he's naked. Imagine dealing with the demonic. 6,000 demons and, and, through, and try doing that through counseling. So tell me, sir, about your family of origin and your mom and dad. Why are you feeling, uh, what, what feelings might you be repressing? That has you wandering around naked. Do you think that would make progress if you have 6,000 demons inside you? Or imagine trying to deal with the demonic as a doctor or a psychiatrist with only medicine. Take this and come back and tell me how you feel. Perhaps you could put him in a stupor, but you cannot cure him. Or my favorite is think about this with pop psychology. 6,000 demons inside you. Well, you need to embrace these voices. You be you. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't label some of those voices demons. Embrace them. So you went around naked and cut yourself. Hey, that's unique, bro. You be you. You be you. But a Jewish person who would have heard this story would not have considered anyone more unclean and defiled than the demonic of Mark 5. And he speaks about it because what demons distort, Christ cleanses and redeems, and no one is beyond that hope. Jesus wanted his disciples and those watching to get that no matter where you are, 
God can heal you. Christ deliberately comes to the demonic. This wasn't some freak accident. Jesus comes to this place deliberately so that it can be clear he can liberate the most possessed person, the most unclean person you can imagine. There are most likely people here who think there's no one who could possibly clean me, cleanse me. Or some of you have returned to the same sin again and again and again, and therefore fear there is no hope. If you're trapped in eating too much, watching pornography, losing your temper, or much worse, Christ can and will liberate you if you come to him. It's usually a process. It's not a one and done, but he promises he will come and he will eventually liberate, which leads to my final point. The only way Christ could liberate us was by subjecting himself to the demons. Demons have a right to walk with those who lie, who enter into evil. And Jesus, by substituting himself in our place, gives himself over to those demonic forces. See, we have a God who unchains a man who's already unchained, but chained in his mind. But he chooses to be chained on our behalf. Jesus has the clothes stripped off of him, even though he's in his right mind. And while the demoniac cuts himself, he lets those influenced by demons cut him. Jesus bleeds on our behalf. And finally, he is sent to the tomb, the most unclean place, and becomes unclean upon unclean so we can become clean. So that he can unchain us from all those lies in our heads and all the demonic forces that would accuse us and trap us in our own sin. The demonic forces, Jesus, although Jesus has done nothing wrong, and he chooses to let those demonic voices succeed and murder him so he can free and liberate us. And I think it's important I say this because unlike Jesus, we probably all have walked among the graves at times, figuratively speaking, by the lies we believed and the roads we've chosen. I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to not be right in my head. I know what it's like to feel like 6,000 voices are attacking me. Let me tell you, sadly, it's one of the most recent stories, and there are a few. Just two weeks ago, I was at an ATM in Senegal. I needed to get out some money. And that day, that week, honestly, I had let the urgent crowd out Jesus, so I was in a bad place. It had been a rough day. And I had my I had a motorcycle. That's how I get around traffic in Senegal. It's clogged, and so I have a motorcycle I squeeze through. Pulled up, and I was in a parking spot. And my parking spot, you know, I chose was far away from every car. And I park and get out to go to the ATM, and a guy yells at me, Hey, you move your bike. You're in the way. I was far away, and I was like, what? And, you know, he was a, clearly a very rich African guy, and he just wanted me to move my bike. And so what I should have done is move my bike. And instead, no, I, my bike's not in the way. I'm going to go over here and use the ATM. Thank you. You move your bike now. And I was like, nope, not going to move my bike. <laughs> And then he started insulting me and yelling all kinds of interesting words. And I turned to him and I called him Putin in French. Now, as I did this, two of my employees walk up 
Now, if any of you are familiar with French, maybe too well, there is another word that's very close to Putin in French. That's a cuss word. And so, sadly, here my two employees look like I'm cussing out a Senegalese, and the Senegalese thinks I'm cussing them out. And it hits me. Here I am, a missionary in a foreign land to bring this guy to Jesus. And I'm yelling what in his mind sounds like a curse word to him in front of my employees. And in that moment, all Colin's voices started ringing in my head. And I started thinking, what a mess I am. And here I'm supposed to be a missionary. And how, why am I here? And what right do I have? And you know those attacking voices and accusing voices. I don't know. I, I can definitely relate to them. And I, I can't sleep that night. And I go the next day and I confess my mess up to a friend. And he prays for me. And my sanity once more starts to return as he reminds me of what God says about me. You know, when I encounter Jesus, I need him almost every time because I become more sane. I receive the peace and love and grace I need to navigate life. When I mess up, when I invite evil in, when I am the wrong I don't want to be. And we proclaim this to each other. Friends, we need each other. God has meant it so that when we are out of our right mind, we go forth proclaiming that Jesus is in his right mind and he has the power to bring us back to our right mind. And praying for each other, proclaiming this truth, we go forth proclaiming what Jesus has done for us. And when we do that, more people get liberated. More people find freedom. If you are a Christian, it is because Christ has liberated you and puts you in your right mind. So go tell people about the last time he liberated you. Proclaim out of weakness and his strength because people truly open up when Jesus, because they can relate to your weakness and they want his strength. And hey, I know that oftentimes you don't feel qualified. Who am I to proclaim it, especially after I've messed up for the hundredth time? And I would say, yeah, the reason you have a right to complain it is you would not be in your right mind without Jesus. And that's what qualifies you to proclaim it. This is why the demoniac, the guy with 6,000 demons, who was just running around naked and cutting himself, he becomes the first missionary. A little secret, maybe that's why I'm your missionary too. I'm not, I wasn't naked before, but yeah. You know what it's like to battle demons, and you know what it's like to have a savior who wins every time, not always right away, But we have a Savior who ultimately will always win. Just as Jesus told the demoniac, my fellow crazy friends, go and tell your neighbors and colleagues, as Mark 5, 19 states, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So what does he do? The demoniac, he goes away and he begins to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marvels. So... You too, Salem, go and proclaim to Winston-Salem how much Jesus has done for you so they too can marvel at our Savior and find liberation.
remember, we love these rascals.